Welcome to Digfin Vox, the podcast brought to you by Digital Finance Media. Digfin is a new online media platform covering the people and organizations using technology to transform financial services. If you like reading press releases and hype, go to Google. But if you want to learn about real people doing actual things in fintech, you need to join us here weekly on Digfin Vox. And go online to www.digitalfinancemedia.com. Articles are free, but you have to register. My name is Dave Swifler, and I'm a city boy born and raised in South Detroit. And we're on a midnight train going deep into the world of fintech. If you're listening to this podcast in your car on the way to work, please pull over. We have a distractingly interesting episode today with James D. Biazio, the editor of Digital Finance Media, and we don't want you to get into an accident. It's about banks partnering with would-be disruptors in financial technology. Thanks for joining us today, Jane. So the fintech companies that uh, came to put traditional financial institutions out of business uh, are now partnering with them. Uh, explain how they're working together and uh, the Open API initiative. Okay, well, thanks, thanks, Dave. And uh, speaking of uh, turnarounds, uh, I thought on the last episode uh, we we replaced you with a, a computer, but uh, you seem to be back. What happened there? <laughs> uh, yeah, you you just can't keep a good human down, James. I, uh, okay. I uh, definitely. Um, I, I, Siri gave me a good run for my money, but I, I uh, um, you finally I, vanquished. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, it, it actually was only because I, I hadn't paid Verizon this month that we're speaking right now. Otherwise she would uh, still be on the line. Okay. All right. Well, good to know that your, uh, your delinquency has, has enabled you to, to, to make a comeback either that or machine learning is so advanced that you are still a computer and I just can't tell the <laughs> Oh no, I'm unduplicatable. Uh, okay. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, good stuff. So at any rate, um, well, <clears throat> nice to be chatting with you, Dave. Um, so the question is, why are, uh, why are fintechs going from uh, disrupting banks to partnering with them? Is that the question? Uh, were they ever disrupting banks or was that just uh, uh, I think there was a time. I think there was a time, a sort of a, a misty golden age of perhaps two years ago. No, when, these uh, two years yes. ago. When uh, when these when some of these Silicon Valley players decided that they were in fact going to do to banks what they had done to media, what they had done to transportation, what they had done to uh, to hotels, uh, it didn't work out that way um, because of regulation uh, is is a big factor. Uh, you really have to understand regulation and compliance requirements to to be able to understand what's going on in financial services, which a lot of these fintech guys perhaps didn't really appreciate. Uh, but also, uh, you know, banks, people like, you know, there's there's good reasons to, to, to dislike or even hate your bank. Um, and particularly after the global financial crisis of 2008, um, a lot of reasons to, to dislike them. But, but banks uh, are you know, they've got, they have the customers and they have uh, reputations, they have brands. And even though we, we hate them, those are still very powerful brands and they have relationships and, and you still trust them as a bank, even if, you know, half, half the time you're, you're, you're cursing them. So uh, there was a lot of reasons why banks weren't just going to, to fade away. Um, and so the, there are still companies out there disrupting 
niches. And so it's not that disruption's gone away. Disruption is very much part of the scene now. Uh, but these fintechs are attacking very small pieces of the banks. The banks still fear uh, what could happen. Uh, and there are still ways that banks could be re-replicated or they could turn into just boring utilities where all the real fat margins go to go to fintechs. Most of the fintechs have been going after very specific little pieces where they see an opportunity, where they see a fat margin they can attack. Um, is it possible that somebody will recreate a digital bank? I mean, there are digital banks, neo banks uh, around the world. And I think that could be a subject for a, a chat another time. But I think what we really want to talk today about, though, is that banks have become uh, much more adept at uh, co-opting or partnering with fintechs uh, to to uh, revitalize their own businesses. Uh, and so fintechs have also become aware that uh, going B2B, working with a financial partner, uh, with, a, with a large bank, insurance company, asset management company, uh, might be their path to success, their path to gaining instant customer data, instant customer use. Uh, which they will really struggle to 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 acquire or achieve on their own. So the, it's it's sometimes it's competitive and sometimes it's collaborative. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, you wrote an article recently about uh, how fintechs are partnering with uh, some of the large traditional financial institutions, specifically Citi. Can you can you explain exactly what the relationship is, who the players are, and and how that's working? So. Uh, City is not unique in this, but I think they've been very uh, proactive and public in what they're doing, particularly in the, their consumer and credit card business side, which is huge. Um, and they have uh, opened up their APIs uh, to, to third-party partners just starting um, late last year. So the API is an application program interface. So basically, it's a tool that allows uh, one piece of software at at a bank, for example, to interact with a piece of software at, say, a fintech company. And it means that fintech companies can get access to the, the customer data that sits within the bank uh, and, and start to use that either in an experimental, uh, like a sandbox type of operation, or, or actually live with, with products. And so this is uh, banks and other financial institutions have traditionally been uh, very wary of opening up their their data to uh, to third parties. Uh, it was always very proprietary and, and competitive, and there were also, I think, some some regulatory concerns. But they've realized that they need the innovation that these startup companies can bring because the banks themselves, although they have many fine technologists, they are not themselves uh, generators of of new ideas and innovation. It's not in the culture, and they have uh, they're too bureaucratic and slow. Right. So. They realize they have to they have to partner with somebody. They they can't do it by themselves if they want to uh, become better at and, and more competitive and retain their edge in this new mobile digital economy. Uh, and so now they're they're sharing stuff. And so City uh, made uh, uh, several announcements uh, last year in Asia, and they've been doing this in the United States as well. Uh, and other banks are also doing it. Some of them are doing it like City at the at the consumer level. Others, uh, I've, I've met with banks that are doing this. They are only institutional clientele. They're not trying to sell loans or credit cards. But um, the same thing applies at, at, at that level, too. They're still providing services, whether you know their customer might be an asset management company, 
uh, or it could be another a banking, you know, or a brokerage uh, counterparty, as opposed to uh, just a person uh, who wants to to go shopping. But uh, but the, the the concept is the same. Right. I can see how that innovation is very tempting. It seems that, uh, you know, while there are, I agree, there are excellent technologists in-house at banks, the culture is driven towards uh, com- it, a, a compliance-driven culture is uh, probably not complementary and may even be antagonistic towards like the disruptive innovation uh, cultures of Silicon Valley, uh, firms. Um, I, I, I guess, you know, it's, it's extremely tempting to have other firms kind of developing awesome products around your, uh, really deep, uh, database. Um, I, the question I have is like, how, as a, as a financial institution, how do you avoid commoditization if someone else is providing the innovation and the front end with your clients, uh, with you just kind of giving your, the, the, the data on the back end? Yeah. You know, and this is, uh, becoming a commodity is, is worrisome for any business once you, once you're, and a lot of these products are frankly, uh, the same. Uh, you know, a loan, a mortgage, a credit card, you know, it, it, it does become more difficult to, to have something that's, that's really d- different from what your competitors have. So the area of competition, uh, particularly in this digital world, then is how quickly can you get new stuff into market? How easy is it or intuitive is it for your customers to be able to just uh, do what they want to do with you on their phone or on or at home? Uh and how can you make it easier and simpler for them? And how can you um, take it away from, I'm trying to push this product on you for no apparent reason other than I want to make money to, I've identified that you have this particular need, uh, or we think you might have this need based on you know, some of your other activity or where, or where you're coming into my system from. And therefore, hey, maybe you could use some of these other products. So there's this, you know, and they have to do that without falling into the trap of looking creepy and like their big brother peering into your into your private life. But but those those things of, of going away from I'm a bank and you're a customer to, you know, do you need this particular product right now? And I can make it super easy for you and I can deliver this very quickly and having an engagement with the customer around uh, giving them alerts, uh, making it um, uh, helping them with ideas they can actually use to manage their financial life, giving them updates to the extent that people want updates on, you know, checking their balance. Um, it's what, um, when I met with, uh, Felony Green, uh, who's, who's head of a lot of these initiatives at, at city and Asia Pacific, he was talking about snacking moments. It was the term he used. So, you know, I'm standing in, in line, um, at the shopping market, you know, or I'm in an elevator, um, and, you know, what do I do? I check my phone. You know, I'm, I'm looking at uh, my, my Facebook account or I'm looking at this, that, but you could also be checking, hey, how much money do I have to pay for this? You know, because you're about to use your, your Apple Pay or your Samsung Pay or your WeChat or something like that. And, and so banks want to be somewhere in, in, in part of that, that, that mentality, that, that map. They want to be, in, you know, branding you with, with ways to get things done. Right. Um, so, I mean, that sounds great in theory, and it makes a lot of sense. Um, 
how is it actually working uh, with these relationships that you're seeing in Hong Kong? I mean, what, what does each party get out of the arrangement? How, uh, what are the risks? What are the opportunities? And how are, how is each side protecting themselves from, you know, being scooped out or disintermediated by their ostensive partner? Right. Okay. So between the fintech companies and the banks and the insurance companies and the, the asset managers, so the, the big licensed uh, players, the right now it's, it's still pretty primordial. Uh, I, a lot of precedents have not yet been set. And I think it probably varies among the big licensed institutions based on their own culture, what they're looking to achieve and just sort of the nature of the way they, they view the world. If you are a fintech partner, uh, getting a bank to pick you is a big deal because that validates your business and it's very competitive. So, you know, that, that validation is, is really, really valuable to you. Uh, and then you get to use your technology at it, it probably initially in a, uh, with fake data, but it's still, you know, uh, it's like a assimilation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you get to actually then, you know, get paid by, you know, trend, you know, providing service that people are actually using. Uh, the question then is how much freedom do you have? Are you basically now the bank's indentured servant, uh, or are you still a free actor able to take that experience, leverage that and grow your own business and attract other partnerships? Um, these, these ways have not yet been set in stone. And so I don't have, there's no definitive answer, but you know, when I talked to one, uh, FinTech founder, uh, who's working with a number of banks, uh, you know, he said, you know, they have not documented the rules, uh, the cost, the processes to, to get validation for my ideas, the contract details for the products that will be built with, uh, you know, while using access to bank, uh, data. So there's a lot of, you know, so on the one hand, getting one of these partnerships for FinTech is, is really important to them. On the same time, there are some fears out there that what am I getting into and, you know, what, what will be the, the amount of flexibility I'll have for mm-hmm. my business. Almost like um, a Pac-Man approach. Like you, you, you partner to eliminate them essentially as competition. You take them off the table by partnering with them if you're not careful. Right. Well, I mean, people have made references to various uh, banks and insurance companies saying, yeah, you know, they they go out and their their innovation labs are really meant to to not so much foster innovation, but identify threats and eliminate those threats. Hmm. Um, I don't have any it's it's you know, I, I hear this as a rumor, but no one's ever said, you know, a specific institution has done this. Um, and it would be pretty difficult for me to, at this stage, to to, to find it. Of course, if I do find an example of that, it'd be a, it'd be a big story. But I, I don't, you know. So there's rumors this is happening. It probably does happen. Of course, though, when you go in and you ask people at the financial institutions, then this, um, you know, the, oh, they yeah. don't, they don't. You know, of course, they they say that's not the point. So. So the, the the realistic answer, the true answer is I don't know, but people talk about this, so it probably has happened in the shadows. Interesting. Um, so uh, before we wrap up, uh, you know, who's doing this right, and how do you measure uh, if the bank is succeeding with open APIs? Well, there's there's a couple of ways to talk about 
how um, how a bank can consider whether or not this is working. So when I when I did my interview with Felony uh, Green at, at City, you know, he said that they're starting to have much faster uh, output from whiteboard to actual product development, which for banks is, you know, new for them. They've always been kind of slow, cumbersome beasts. Uh, you know, he says they've had one product that could take as little as 45 days to go from just being a brainstorm to, to actually being realized. Those are one-offs at this stage. Banks aren't really uh, yet able to churn that out uh, in a Silicon Valley style um, sprint methodology uh, on, a, on a sustainable, consistent basis. But maybe they will get there for some types of products. So, for example, um, you know, uh, it's City, the, the type of product that they've been able to bang out very quickly um, have been some instant lending uh, capabilities on mobile phone, which is real time and, and, and straight through. Normally, you'd have to go to visit a branch uh, or, or call up somebody to get a, a loan done. Now uh, you receive a personalized email, and if you follow that path, um, you get a, a, a you know online experience with an offer. Here's the loan. This is what this is the interest rate. This is the the time frame for payments, which you can you can adjust that. Um, and then with uh, some authentication and security measures, boom, you're you're in. Um, now that that was fairly easy for them to do because it's an existing product, basically. They're already going after people who they know are approved customers for this loan. So there's no KYC. There's, uh, you know, they don't have to go through all that paperwork. These are already pre-approved people. And the only difference is they just don't know about this particular offer. And and that mode of communication, uh, the, the, the delivery of that product, the acceptance by the customer, all digital. But uh, so, so the, 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 the medium is is different, but the everything else is kind of the same. There's a lot of existing things, a lot of existing structure, um, and it's not a new customer. It's just a, a personalization of that experience. So those kinds of things, banks are able to start uh, applying more quickly now, and that will be good for that will be good for the banks. That will be good for their fintech partners if they have them developing those products for them, uh, and it should, in theory, be good for the for the customer. I think for other things, they're going to struggle, uh, and Oh, and, and just note, these things are not just for consumers. Well, some of these types of products are also starting to seep their way into uh, the more institutionalized parts of the business. Mm. Um, but, you know, can a Silicon Valley style culture be firmly embedded in a bank? I think the answer is no. These guys are all putting together floors or special offices or departments that are trying to replicate a, a you know, a Google office type environment. Uh, I visited a few of these, uh, and they're trying to find ways to attract uh, talent, technology talent, uh, by by trying to, you know, kind of pretend, hey, we're in the valley, uh, and and that only can go so far because then you go to the next floor, and uh, it's a bunch of middle-aged people in suits. So, uh, you know, then that's not the experience when you go to Facebook or or, or Microsoft or Google. So. I think there's going to be a limit to how far they can go with this, but they are starting to see it's having a, uh, you know, in City's case, they are um, seeing good uptake in their their mobile offerings in in Asia at least, and I think probably in the U.S. as well. Uh, 
they have uh, people accessing them through a lot of partners. They partner with wherever they think their customers are going to be. That could be Amazon. It could be Uber. Uh, there's some some Asian versions of those companies like Grab, which is a, another um, digital uh, car service. Um, and so, you know, th these banks are very clever about figuring out where to find their customers and try to uh, uh, to be part of that experience where customers are, are, are doing uh, digital transactions. Citi uh, has a partnership with WeChat in China, and through that they have a lot of, they've had a uh, huge, huge take up. So I, I think there are different ways they can measure if this, uh, if this is going to work. Ultimately it's about bottom line and that, and, uh, but also user engagement. They're looking at a lot of the same kind of metrics that any other company would look at. It's not just financial services user engagement, uh, likes on social media, stuff like that. So uh, I, I guess the major takeaway from your story is that buying a, a, a bunch of hoodies and then and then letting people wear them at work is, is probably not uh, the only thing you have to do to encourage a, a more innovative culture at your financial institution. No, I mean, it's, it's more of a, a, a beachhead, I would say, than a, a full-fledged change. But I, it's possible that some of these banks will, to some extent, uh, allow these changes, these cultural changes to become more widespread, not just, you know, if I think if they can get that, that culture to, to spread to other parts and not just be limited to the floor where they keep all the young techies, um, you know, th that change of mindset I think that's going to be important, particularly for those that do have um, uh, starting with the, the consumer side, because that's where people are, are, are mobile uh, already. Um, and, and the other the other challenge they have is is compliance and regulation. I mean, banks want to go fast, um, but uh, you can't go fast when you've got uh, a lot of regulatory constraints on you and those regulatory constraints, people complain about them, but you know, they do exist for a reason. We've seen banks, uh, get into trouble when they're not constrained. Uh, and it's not just reputationally, but I mean, really people could go to jail if they are negligent with skipping the essential checks and balances of, of compliance, uh, particularly for big banks that are U S regulated, uh, that are deemed globally, you know, systematically important, uh, you know, there's always going to be a limit to what these guys can do. And also, I think the, the other challenge is they can set up that floor where they've got uh, all the hip people uh, doing coding. But most people who uh, come out of the universities, whether it's in the U.S., Asia, Europe, they, they you know, their first choice is probably not to work for a bank. Um, and so I think attracting in-house talent is uh, – is always going to be tough for these guys, um, and and so that's another reason why they'll they'll have to rely on third party innovators because they'll they'll never really, you know, there there could be one or two exceptions, but I don't think these banks are ever going to have the the draw for the top shelf talent that like a a Silicon Valley or an Alibaba is is going to uh, receive. Wow! Even if they put in a foosball table, are you serious? No, I, well, I agree with you. Tables, uh, you know, that's that is kind of sometimes the you know, the breaker. <laughs> we could talk about this. Uh, I, I, I would, I, I would say that there's probably, um, we could have a very long podcast on all these issues, but uh, this is a, a, a lot of great stuff, James. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, thanks for the, uh, the questions on your time, Dave. And uh, thanks for everybody for listening. 
You can see Didgefin's story about Citi's Felimi Green and how the bank approaches partnerships with fintechs at www.digitalfinancemedia.com, along with more stories about financial institutions, startups, and regulators. Thanks for joining us. This is Didgefin Vox.